Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Wrigley Field in Chicago. It's the Chicago Cubs 6, the Cleveland Indians 5. The Cleveland Indians losing streak extends to 7 games. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy watching baseball being played and welcome back from our day off yesterday i hope you had a nice relaxing evening i cooked a nice dinner at home did some laundry got some stuff done but we are back to baseball last night and we're back to talking baseball this morning so how did it all go down what happened in this indians game how did the indians let this losing streak extend to seven games well uh they plunked guys They plunked a lot of guys yesterday. In fact, they hit four batters yesterday, including two batters when it counted. But we'll get there. We'll break it down. We'll look at all the game action. We'll talk about all the important plays, and we'll have fun talking about a baseball game. Carlos Carrasco was pitching for the Indians. Hugh Darvish pitching for the Cubs, and neither pitcher would factor into the decision. Yesterday, Carrasco actually started good. It was kind of your classic Carrasco game. He struck out the first two batters he faced. But in the bottom of the second, he does get into trouble. Carrasco spread out a bunch of hits. But this one, he couldn't spread out. This one, Javier Baez crushed, like, I think it was a 450-foot home run to center field. Uh, The exit velocity on this, I think, was 108 miles per hour off the bat. Baez puts a no doubt about her over the brick wall in center field, and the Cubs are up 1-0. However, the Indians would have an answer. This would be a game where both teams would have answers for each other, right? Just when the Cubs went up a little bit, the Indians would start hitting. Just when the Cubs, when the Indians would start hitting, the Cubs would answer right back. In fact, if you look at the uh, the win probability line, it kind of bounces back and forth the entire game. Even in the ninth inning, uh, we get it back to even. So it's that one was an interesting one. This win probability line here really shows a good baseball game yesterday. So what would we do in the top of the third to answer back? Well, Josh Naylor would actually start things off with a double. I believe it's his first double of the entire season, Hamilton said. And it's his, I believe it's his first extra base hit as a Cleveland Indian. So he doubles to start the top of the third. And then Delano to Shields lays down a bunt. And hey, you know what? I'm okay with this. It's, ninth, it's the ninth batter. You're down one nothing. You're just trying to get on the board. You're trying to show your pitcher that, hey, we're going to put up some runs for you. So Delano to Shields goes to bunt and move Naylor over to third. It sets things up for the top of the lineup. Your best hitters. Instead, Chris Bryant comes charging in, throws wildly towards Kipnis, who is covering first. The ball goes out towards the tarp. Naylor easily comes in to score. Delano to Shields ends up going all the way to third, sliding in safe as you Darvish has to put the tag down. And uh, yeah, aggressive base running from the Indians and an aggressive play from Delano to Shields to go all the way to third. And it would prove to be big. It would prove to be important. And the next batter up, Francisco Lindor, he doubles down the left field line. Schwarber has trouble coming up with it. He can't pick it up off the grass. Delano DeShields comes in to score, and Lindor is safe with a double. That would be his first of three hits on the day. So the Indians were aggressive. They, uh, 
You know, they put the ball in play and good things happen sometimes. And uh, that's what happens here. So even if DeLon the Shields is trying to give himself away, even though it's a sacrifice, it was clearly not bunting for a hit. Rizzo was feet away from the batter coming down the first base line. Uh, it pays off for the Indians here. So sometimes when you put the ball in play, good things can happen. All right. Uh, Freeman grounded out softly back to Darvish, but that allowed Lindor to go to third. And then things get fun because Jose Ramirez up with one out Lindor on third. He hits a fly ball out to right field. He does his job. He's just trying to get it out there on the grass. He puts it out into right field, but waiting out there in right field is Jason Hayward. And Jason Hayward might be one of the best defensive right fielders in the game of baseball today. Hayward, if you're an outfielder, if you want to be an outfielder, watch what Hayward did on this. He does not rush his throw. He sets his feet. He takes his time. He gets all squared up the home plate, and then he unleashes a throw. I think Mandy Bell said that StatCast had it at 92.3 miles per hour. He unleashes a fastball from right field. He threw so hard that he actually ended up laying out. Uh, on his stomach after the throw. He threw his whole body into this. I, honest to God, the only time you ever see that is in video games. Uh, and he threw a strike a few feet up the line to catcher Victor Caratini, and he slaps the tag on Lindor's backside, and Lindor is out at home plate. If you ever want to see a matchup between a base runner and an outfielder, this was it, right? Even the Cubs announcer who was calling it, you know, gave a, gave a here we go kind of call because uh, Lindor has the wheels, Hayward has the arm, and Hayward won the battle. So uh, great defense there from the Cubs. I mean, you hate to see it as the Indians, but we're up two to one in the inning, and you got to give credit where credit is due. And uh, it was uh, it was a great throw from Hayward. The Indians would actually extend their lead in the fifth inning. Uh, after Naylor grounds out to start the inning, Delino DeShields this time doubles on a line drive to left field. And then Francisco Lindor comes up, singles up the middle to center fielder Ian Happ, and Delino DeShields comes in to score. And this would actually be Francisco Lindor's hardest hit ball on the game. Uh, even though his other two hits were for extra bases, this single up the middle had an exit velocity of 106. So definitely Lindor's hardest hit balls on the day. One of the hardest hit balls in the game yesterday. So it's always interesting. You would expect the home runs to have the big exit velocities, right? You'd expect the the doubles off the wall to have the big exit velocities. Nope. A grounder up the middle here, and that has 106 miles per hour exit velocity. So there you go. And uh, that would be all for the Indians in the fifth. They would make it three to one, though. And that felt like a good lead, right? Like I said, Carrasco was pitching pretty good. He had gotten himself into a couple of, you know, situations. He'd given up some hits, but he got strikeouts. He got flyouts when he needed it. He didn't walk too many batters. His only walk was to Hayward in the fourth. He spread out eight hits over six innings. So kind of your classic Carlos Carrasco pitching performance. He gave them a chance to win. In the fifth, he would get into some trouble here. And, you know, listening to listening to the call of the game, it sounded like he was going to his breaking pitches a lot in this fifth inning here and getting away from his fastball. 
So after he gets Carantini to fly out, Ian Happ doubles on a line drive to center field. The line of the shields definitely was worried about the brick wall in the Ivy in Wrigley Field. If this was in Cleveland, chances are he slams into the padding in center field and tries to catch this ball off Ian Happ. But because it's a brick wall out there, and I mean, we've seen people slam into the Ivy, slam into the brick in Wrigley. It never looks fun. And you can't blame him. He kind of came up a step short on this fly ball and realized he was at the wall and kind of short-armed it. He didn't want to slam into the wall, clearly. And uh, like I said, who can blame him? It goes as a double. Chris Bryant follows that up. He's the next batter. He singles to left field. This one, Josh Naylor let fall in front of him. I really thought another outfielder out there probably would have been more aggressive and probably would have went for that ball. I mean, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter say, oh, Josh Naylor is a first base DH kind of guy. What's he doing out in the left field? Uh, he's He tends to run a lot of things down, but I have not seen him make like a diving catch uh, or something really aggressive like this. So he lets the ball hop in front of him. And, you know, the, the thought of this is, Ian Happ's running around third. Okay, I can take it on the hop, and I can come up throwing, right? I can make a great throw, just like uh, Hayward did to nab Lindor, and I'm going to get revenge and nab Ian Happ. Doesn't work out so well for Josh Naylor. He puts it over the catcher's head, over the pitcher's head, bounces it off the wall behind home plate. So Ian Happ easily comes in to score, and Chris Bryant goes into second easily with a double. Uh, credited as a single, and then he moves up on the throwing error. So uh, not a good play by Josh Naylor all around. He wasn't aggressive and went for the fly ball, and he made a absolutely horrific throw to home plate. So we have not gotten a large sample size on Josh Naylor throws. I mean, we know Naquin has an arm out there. We know DeShield's arm is pretty weak in center field. But uh, I think we're going to need a slightly bigger sample size from Naylor to see if he is an outfielder that can throw guys out or not. So far, not looking good. It just was not good mechanics, as opposed to Hayward a few innings ago, who showed perfect mechanics. Well, things would continue to struggle for Carrasco. He continued to stick with his off-speed putt stuff, and Anthony Rizzo then doubles on a line drive to center field. This one was a no-doubt-about-a double. Delano DeShields never had a chance to catch this one. He again plays it off the Ivy. Chris Bryant comes in to score. According to uh, the beat reporter for the Cubs, who used to be the beat reporter for the Indians, by the way, uh... Sorry, I'm blanking on his name here. Give me one second. Jordan Bastion. Of course, Jordan Bastion. According to him, this is the first time that Rizzo has knocked in Bryant all season, which is strange for a Cubs team that seems to be they, – they claim they've been struggling offensively, but uh, it hasn't stopped them from winning games. I mean, they're still 29-20 and 20 on the season, so uh, – yeah, we can teach them a thing or two about offensive struggles here. All right, but Carrasco is able to get out of it. Uh, there was a crazy play with, with Wilson Contreras where he singled to right. Naquin gets the throw in to Santana at first. He hit his cutoff man, and then Contreras, for some reason, decided to try to go. Maybe he thought the throw, throw was going to go all the way through. He tried to go to second, and Carlos Santana easily nabs him going to second. So that was a big help, and then he gets Schwerber to fly out to get out of the inning. 
Uh, we've talked about this before. Sandy LMR leaves his pitchers in there. I mean, uh, Carrasco ends up going another inning after this. He did not have a short trigger, even though Carrasco got into a lot of trouble. Got to give credit where credit is due to great defense here in the top of the six. Vermeule Reyes with one out, pops one up down the first baseline, out into right field. And Rizzo and Hayward had a moment out there in right field. Rizzo is running with his back to home plate. Hayward's coming in, and they kind of have this moment where they look at each other like, is one of us going to call this? And Hayward kind of looks back at Rizzo and gives him a look like, I'm I'm not calling it. I, I'm not getting there. And so Rizzo uh, never looks back for the ball. Somehow makes an over-the-shoulder Willie Mays-style catch going down the right field line. I don't think either of them thought they were going to catch this ball. They were both waiting for the other guy to catch the ball. And Rizzo just stuck his glove out and came up with it. So credit where credit is due. It was a pretty incredible catch. Um, Naquin would double in this inning. It was He was four for four on the day. But it would go for not as Roberto Perez would strike out swinging to end that threat. All right. So it's a 3-3 game. And we go into the seventh inning now. Naylor lines out to start the inning again. Delino to Shields doubles. He had three hits on the day. A big day for Delino to Shields. And then here's where things get interesting. Because with the double, it leaves the base open. It leaves first base open. And they decide to intentionally walk Francisco Lindor. Now remember, Lindor is three, ends up going three for four on the day with this walk. And every time Lindor was up, Obviously, besides when he lit off the game, every time Lindor was up, I think he had a base open. And they pitched to him in the third inning, and he doubles. They pitched to him in the fifth inning, and he singles. Well, here in the seventh, they decide not to pitch to him. They walk. They intentionally walk him, which brings up Mike Freeman. Now, we've joked with the Indians about how unflexible they are that when Hernandez is out, and Hernandez is going to be out for a few days right now, I believe... He went on the paternity list, so um, congratulations to Cesar Hernandez if that's the situation. And Mike Freeman comes in to play second base. Fine. But they bat him second. They bat him in Cesar Hernandez's spot, and this is what happens. It unprotects Lindor in the lineup. So they can feel free to just walk Lindor and then bring up Mike Freeman with forces all around. Now, they're not able to double Freeman up here. They get He does hit a ground ball. They get Lindor out at second. Freeman's at least able to leg it out. So, we got runners at the corner. But this is what you do when you don't change your lineup. When You, just, you can't just insert Mike Freeman into the two-hole. Cesar Hernandez is their number one because he's a great hitter. But also, it protects Lindor a little bit. That would be like, you know, if Santana took the day off at first base, Freeman comes in. Are you going to bat him clean up? Now you've unprotected Jose Ramirez. So, yeah, I think the Indians learned right here why you need to change your lineup if you're going to put your bench players in. Now, I don't know who would have batted second. That would have stopped them from walking Lindor in this situation because the it's not like we have any other great hitters to really put in that place. But, yeah, that's the situation we created here in the seventh inning. And Jose Ramirez lined out to center to end the threat. Ramirez did not have a good game. 0 for 5, no strikeouts. 0 for 5, 5 left on base for Jose Ramirez. In the bottom of the seventh, James Karinchek comes in 
and it was not the good James Karinchek. Ian Hamp singles on a ground ball to center. He is then caught stealing by Roberto Perez. This would be important because this would come back later. Don't run on Roberto Perez. I believe Roberto Perez has thrown out eight base runners so far this season and only given up three steals. I don't know if the stats were updated for this caught stealing, so he might be up to nine caught stealing right now. Uh, Chris Bryant would then walk, so now he's given up a single and a walk. Anthony Rizzo would single on a line drive to right field, and then Wilson Contreras would hit a sack fly to right field. He was battling against Contreras. He was going to his fastball, and uh, Karen Shack yesterday, he threw 20 pitches, 13 for strikes, so still not pounding the strike zone like we're used to seeing Karen Shack doing, but Against Contreras, he went back to his fastball, and it was working. He had Contreras down on the count. He just threw him one too many, and he's able to hit a fly ball out into right field and score Chris Bryant, and the Cubs take the lead 4-3. to three. I re- In next at back, Kyle Schwarber, he gets ahead of him on fastballs and then drops the curve on him for the strikeout. Gets him looking with the curveball. I would have loved to have seen him do that one batter earlier to Contreras. He had him. He had him in the count. He had him sitting fastball. He just threw him one too many. So Karinchek has a tough seventh inning, but uh, it's only four to three. You feel like there's still a chance here. Carlos Santana walks to start off the inning. Uh, Rowan Wick is now pitching for the Cubs. Carlos Santana walks, but then Fermil Reyes grounds into a double play. It was a rough day for Fermil Reyes. He goes 0 for 4 with two strikeouts and this double play. Tyler Naquin then singles, so you're thinking, ah, oh, man, they're, they're keeping it alive. They're keeping hope alive. And then he pinch hits Sandy Leone for Roberto Perez. Now, Roberto Perez is having a terrible season here. Roberto Perez is having probably his worst season since he came up to the majors. His walk rate is down. He had always been above around 10%, a little bit higher for his walk rate. It's down to 9.3. His strikeout rate is the highest of his career. It's at 36% strikeout rate. It's only the second time in his career he's been above 30% on strikeouts. His average is obviously 167 after Last night, his average is down to 159 with a 474 OPS. So clearly, Fangraphs has not updated things. Weighted runs created plus, WRC plus. Remember, this is one of those stats where they balance the league average at 100. The runs created, what you're doing offensively to create runs, he's down at 38. So if league average is 100, he is at 38, the absolute lowest of his career. All right, is there anything in the advanced stats, anything that he's doing differently that we can look at? Uh, his batting average balls in play is right around average. That's the bat bip. Um, that's an interesting stat that shows luck sometimes. You know, if it's high, if it's low, you're either lucky or unlucky. Um, so that's around his league average. Where he's hitting the ball, batted balls. He is hitting 61.5% ground balls. His next highest was his second season, or his third season, when he was hitting 53.6% ground balls. He had got that back around 50%. This year, he's at 61.5%. 
his ground ball to fly ball ratio had never been above two. It was always in the mid ones, which meant, you know, for every one and a half ground balls, he'd hit a fly ball. This year, he's at 3.43 ground balls to fly ball. So um, his pull stats are about where he's at on the season. He's at 41%. He's trying to pull the ball a little more than normal, but he's usually in the 30s but not extreme. It's the ground ball number. That's the strikeouts are high and the ground balls are high and he's seeing less fastballs. So uh, throughout his career, he had always been seeing around fi- over 50% fastballs. Last year, it dropped to 48 when he had his big power season. This year is at 41.9% fastball. So way down on the fastballs, way up on the sliders and the curveballs. So seeing way more breaking pitches. So that could be something. Maybe that's something that someone figured out earlier in the season and the rest of the scouting reports are following that trend. So those are the statistical outliers this season for Roberto Perez. If that explains to you why Roberto Perez is having such a bad season, there you go. But Sandy, it was bad enough that Sandy Alomar decided to pinch hit and Sandy Leon is called out on a terrible strike call. It was a curveball way high on the zone. The entire Indians bench jumped up. They weren't happy about it. But Sandy Leon is called out on strikes. And this is why it's important. Because Javier Baez is hit by a pitch in his in his at-bat against Phil Maiden. Phil Maiden comes in for James Karinczak, nails Baez with a pitch. Then he gets Hayward to strike out swinging, but Baez steals second. It should have been a strike him out, throw him out. If this is Roberto Perez, I have no doubt in my mind it's a strike him out, throw him out. I don't think Sandy Leone has been bad behind the plate, but he throws way wide of Lindor covering second. The ball goes out into center field, and Baez gets up, and he just starts running. He hits third base, looks over his shoulder, and just keeps going. Delano de Shields got the ball to Lindor in time. Lindor, if he makes a good throw home, probably has Javi Baez out by a couple steps. But the ball goes wide to Sandy Leone, and Javi Baez slides into home plate, tags the plate as he goes by while blowing a bubble of bubble gum, which I got to give credit where credit is due. It's kind of a baller move, right? To blow a bubble in your bubble gum as you just stole second, third, and home on the same play. It's kind of a badass move. So Javi Baez stretches the lead for the Cubs, makes it 5-3 to three all by himself. And, man, that is one of the most aggressive plays you will ever see in baseball. A guy going first to home on stolen bases in one play. And, yeah, so pinch hitting for Roberto Perez bites the Indians in the rear end right here. All right, top of the ninth inning, you're probably feeling like this thing is completely out of control for the Indians. I can tell you that the win probability for the Cubs was pretty much... Pretty much at around 100% that the Cubs were going to win this game. Jeremy Jeffers comes in to pitch. He walks Naylor to start the inning. He gets Delino to Shields to ground out. It holds Naylor at second base. Then Francisco Lindor comes up. And the pitch sequence to Lindor, he threw him two pitches away off the plate, tries to drop a sinker in again away off the plate. Clearly, his plan was to pitch Lindor away, and Lindor keeps his hands back, sits on it, and drives it out to left field for a home run to tie the game in the ninth inning. Some ninth inning magic from Francisco Lindor. It's his eighth home run on the season, 
and I can tell you the exit velocity on this one was only 98.5. Still pretty hard hit ball. But uh, like I said, the, it's amazing that the exit velocity on his single up the middle earlier was so much harder hit than a home run here in the ninth inning at only 98 miles per hour exit velocity. It felt, you know, it felt like Schwarber might have a chance at first. The way Schwarber was drifting back, you thought maybe. There's an interesting stat here on StatCast, which is the ex- expected batting average. So I think this takes in the play outfielders, ballparks, uh, a ball hit on this launch angle at this exit velocity at this distance, chances are you only have a 260 batting average on this. That's the expected batting average. So this is not a home run everywhere. Um, I'll give you an example. His double that he hit earlier had an expecting batting average of 960. So Basically, no matter what ballpark you're in, no matter what outfielder is out there, that was going to be a base hit, his uh, double in the third inning. This one only had an expecting batted average of 260. So, right place, right time, and this goes for a home run to tie the game, which is just huge from Francisco Lindor. It's He did one of his classic Lindors, pumped up, banging the chest, hopping around the bases. You could tell what that home run meant to him because he's wanted to be that guy all season, that guy that drove in important runs. Well, uh, Freeman walks after that, and Jose Ramirez grounds in a double, into a double play to end that threat. But we leave the top of the ninth tied 5-5. You're feeling good because we've had a good record, a good streak of winning these extra inning games, especially as the away team. However, our bullpen is pitching awful right now. I think Mandy Bell said that the starters ERA over the last seven games had climbed up climbed up over five and that the relief pitchers over the last seven games, their ERA has climbed up over 10, which is what happens in a seven game losing streak. So Oliver Perez comes in to pitch for Maiden. They don't go to Brad Hand or anything like that because being the away team, they still have the chance for a save situation. Oliver Perez gets a fly ball to start the inning, but then walks Chris Bryant. Gives up a single to Anthony Rizzo. Moves Bryant all the way to third. Runners on the corner now. But you still have a double play set up here, okay? Whitgren comes in to pitch for Perez because clearly Perez just did not have it against these guys last night. Whitgren comes in, throws throws four fastballs that were all... No, I take that back. Three fastballs and a changeup that were all high and tight. The first one buzzes Wilson Contreras' face. I, I mean, they could have taken an eyelash off Wilson Contreras. It was that close to his face. All right, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. The next one is another high and tight fastball that he swings and misses at. So Wickren said in the post game, I got him to swing and miss. I thought I could do it again. This time he throws it high and, high and tight again. Contreras brings his hands down a little bit. He thought about swinging at it, and this one nails him in the back of his hand. Looked really painful. He was trying to work out the bruise. I would not be surprised if Contreras isn't in the lineup tonight because it looked like his hand was going to swell up and there was going to be a pretty good bruise on the back of his hand. So that loads the bases. But you're thinking, okay, there's still a double play possibility here, right? Even with a runner on third one out, we got a force on every base. There's a lot of things that can happen here. Just like there's a lot of ways that runner can score from third, there's a lot of ways to make an out, make a double play with the bases loaded and a force everywhere. So what does he do? 
He throws, I think he said he threw a change up here to Cameron Maben, and he plunks him in the ribs on the first pitch. He said he just lost grip, let go of the ball too soon. It's just a wild pitch that got away from him. Unfortunately, it's in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded in a tied game. And this is not the way you want to lose. Mandy Bell said that they went back all the way to the 1920s with Elias and all the advanced stats that they have access to, and they could not find a situation where the Indians have ever lost a game like this, where a walk-off hit-by-pitch where you hit two batters in a row to end the game, it's never happened as far back as they could look. So... They say when you come to the ballpark, you will see something you've never seen before. And if you were watching last night, we can't be at the ballpark right now. If you were watching last night, you saw something that has never hip happened in recorded Indians history. So two hit batters end the game. And Wickren felt terrible after the game, obviously. Um, there's, But as a reliever, you're taught as a reliever, you just... You walk off the mound, and you come back, and you do it again tomorrow. So we'll see what Whitgren comes back with because Sandy Alomar has definitely made Whitgren one of his guys in late innings. So my guess is Sandy Alomar is going to get him back on the mound tomorrow so he can get this taste out of his mouth. It Seven games in a row for the Cleveland Indians. It's getting pretty brutal out there. I mean, don't look now, but uh, the Detroit Tigers and uh, the who else is chasing us? I believe the Seattle Mariners are all four games back in the loss column right now. So people are nipping at our heels for that last wild card spot. Now, if this wasn't a weird season where eight teams make the playoffs, we would be roasting the Indians even harder. But since they are still technically in playoff contention right now, since they're technically still in the playoffs, I feel like the hate hasn't been as bad as it would have been if it's a normal five teams make the postseason kind of season. So, yeah, it's getting rough for the Indians. You thought last night they were up to 3-1. to one. Lindor ties the game 5-5. I told you that win probability line was bouncing all over the place last night. You thought the Indians had a chance to end that streak last night. They got to you, Darvish. I mean, you, Darvish, is one of the better pitchers in baseball right now. He's He is definitely in the conversation for NL Cy Young. And you got to him last night. You Darvish's final line was seven innings pitch, nine hits, three earned runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. So similar to Carrasco, Carrasco goes six innings, eight hits, three earned runs, a walk, and five strikeouts. They're able to move around some hits, get out of some things, crafty veterans right here. And so... Yeah, it was very similar pitching performances. It was a it was a pretty back and forth game, so you had a chance against one of the best pitchers in baseball, and you let it slip through your fingers. Uh, the bullpen gave up three runs themselves. Whitgren has a weird line because the run is actually credited to Roberto Perez. So Whitgren, even though he was the last pitcher, his his line for the day is zero innings pitched. Zero hits, zero runs, zero walks, zero strikeouts, zero home runs. That is bizarre. When's the last time you've ever seen a pitcher come in, end the game with zeros as his line? Uh, <laughs> that is pretty crazy. All right, MVP for a day. I got to give it up. Uh, Naquin had a great game, four for four. He was hitting the ball hard. He's got his average up to 270, but MVP for a day definitely has to go to Francisco Lindor. He was doing 
everything we needed him to do as our leadoff hitter, including a game-tying two-run home run in the ninth inning. And when you do that, when you put the team on your back and bring them back in the ninth inning, you get MVP for a day. All right, we'll try again tomorrow. Tomorrow's matchup is going to see Aaron Savali take the mound against John Lester. So it's going to be another interesting one. Lester's ERA this season is at 505, but he kills the Indians. So we will see what happens. It's an 8 o'clock start, and uh, we need this one. Man, do we need this one. You thought coming off of that day of rest that maybe they could win one and end this losing streak. Uh People are not happy. Fans are not happy right now. And how could you be? I mean, if you extrapolate this to a 162-game season, a seven-game losing streak would feel like, what, over 20 games or something like that? It's 2.7 games per game. So, yeah, it's per game lost in this condensed season. So, yeah, it is not looking pretty for the Indians right now. And they need to turn this around. So we're going to stick with them. We'll be here through the whole season. Hopefully we will be here doing podcasts for a playoff run. They still have a good probability of making those playoffs. So come on, we need it. We need a playoff run here. We need to give our starting pitchers a chance to pitch in the postseason. Hey, uh, speaking of starting pitchers, we did some poll questions on Twitter. And I want to thank everybody who voted on our poll on Twitter. If you're not following me on Twitter right now, um, at Davey Barris, I'm going to do fun things like this, on, especially on off days, to generate a little bit of conversation out there. And so uh, I threw up some poll questions yesterday. And the first question was, Shane Bieber will definitely start game one of the playoffs. Who should start game two? Uh, a couple of votes came in, but most of the votes were actually for Zach Plesak. So there you go. Uh, Zach Plesak is the favorite from fans to maybe start game two. Uh, Carrasco also received some votes. I said, which of these Indians players with interesting contract situations is most likely to still be on the team in 2021? Now, Lindor has one season of arbitration remaining, but it's going to be an incredibly high price tag. Santana has a credibly high option year. I think over $17 million. Cesar Hernandez is going to be a free agent after the season, and Brad Hand has a $10 million option. The votes were actually spread out on this one uh, between Lindor, Santana, and Hernandez. So no one thought Brad Hand's going to stick around. I guess Lindor, I mean, he's the obvious choice because he still has a year of control. Uh, but nobody expects the Indians to be able to pay him. We obviously all expect a chance of him being traded in the offseason. I actually think... Uh, Santana might take, especially after this bad season, he might re-sign on a lower contract just to prove himself, right? Just to prove that he can still do it. Or maybe a hometown discount because he's clearly proven that he feels way more comfortable being back in Cleveland than he did uh, in Philly. So I think of anybody there's a chance Carlos Santana maybe instead of that option year, signs a two- or three-year extension that gives him a decent amount of money but spreads it out over those three years. So Santana is the one I think has a chance. And then I said if there's an outfielder the Indians have at Lake County that deserves another shot before the season is over, who should they call up? Jake Bowers, Bradley Zimmer, Daniel Johnson. And then I said, does Nolan Jones know how to play left field? Uh, The votes were spread out again on this one between Bowers, Zimmer, and Daniel Johnson. 
I mean, I would love to see Daniel Johnson get another chance. I, he is clearly our most talented minor leaguer, our most talented prospect. Jake Bowers also has not gotten a chance this season. Nobody knows what he's doing at Lake County. I haven't heard anything about him. So, I mean, did Jake Bowers find that power swing? Did he find uh, – can he come up and be a, a hitter like Tyler Naquin? Uh, I don't know. We haven't heard anything about him. So uh, he was a pretty highly touted prospect at one point. So he would be interesting too. At they, I think they have to make the decision. I think it's passed. I, I think they've lost their chance to make a decision. I think they had to be on the roster by September 15th to be eligible for the playoffs. So I don't think it's going to matter at this point. I think Naylor and Naquin and Delano DeShields and Oscar Mercado and Luplo are your outfielders, no matter how bad they're hitting. So thanks for participating in the poll. If you want to interact on Twitter, I was tweeting a lot during the game last night. It's at Davey Barris. You guys are out there listening. Guys and girls are out there listening to the podcast. Why not follow me on Twitter? And uh, let's have a fun conversation amongst fans. Let's get some conversations going during games. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Chicago. It's the Cubs 6, the Indians 5. We'll be back tomorrow to see how Aaron Savali does against Lester. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.